Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Adventure Hardware And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, today, what we're going to be doing is... Uh, I have some, some announcements to make up top at the, the front of the show, and then we're going to be doing a double review today. First of all, we're going to be reviewing The Meg, which is a shark movie that's out in theaters right now, and also Black Klansman, Spike Lee's newest film. Um, so... That's what we got in store for you on the podcast today. Find more episodes of this show at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Uh, and right, right at the top of the show, uh, there's something we got to talk about. Guys, I- I'm going to name a bunch of movies, okay? Uh-huh. And I want you to tell me what they all have in common, okay? Here we go. Uh, Ready Player One, Ocean's Eight, Equalizer Two, Rampage, Skyscraper. Okay? Mm-hmm. Ready Player One. I'm going to do that again. Ready Player One, Ocean's 8, Equalizer 2, Rampage, Skyscraper. What do all those movies have in common? No. No? Nothing? Uh, they all made less than the Megan opening weekend. That's <laughs> so, funny. Yeah. Uh, and wow. by, you know, by the way, wow. when, when we were deciding our summer movie wager, who, who stood for the Meg? You, stood, stood you for the stand Meg. for the Meg. Uh, yeah. Divin your hardware, and that was a. I, I still not sure that it's a great choice. I mean, here, guys, let's. Yeah. I, I want to bring you back. Let's rewind life one week, okay? We were sitting at exactly where we're sitting right now, recording this podcast, <laughs> and I was saying that in the Slack Filmcast, which you can sign up for at slackfilmcast.com, uh, there there was a, there was a movement going on. Uh, hashtag save Dave or hashtag save Dave wave, which is an allusion to the fact that in order for David Chen, me, to win the summer movie wager at thesummermoviewager.com, the Meg needs to break into the top 10 uh, of this summer's box office. And you guys laughed and you laughed and, and Jeff, you, you doubted. You doubted I that. I both laughed and doubted. You, has, and you doubted again. that hashtag save Dave was a thing. I mostly didn't want to save Dave. Yeah. But I did, want to, I did want the Meg to succeed. Well, let me tell you guys, the hashtag save Dave wave is alive and well. It's a real thing. And it, wrote, it, it delivered us $45 million opening weekend for the Meg. Wow. Thank you to everyone in the Slack who went to see the movie. Far more effective than that terrible Christopher Robin hashtag save Jeff uh, movement that went on a couple weeks ago. Indeed. Yes. Um, clearly, clearly your hashtag has out hashtagged my hashtag. I out hashed you, Jeff. Uh, yeah. And that is to your eternal shame. But I, I mean, guys, uh, we're going to talk about the Meg later on in this episode. I think uh, it's fair to say. This was a shocking development, right? I mean, I think the world needed a giant shark movie right now, and I could feel it. I could feel it in the in the air. You know, we needed Jason Statham to fight a shark, so it gave it to us. Yeah, there, there. Uh, the the predictions, the tracking for this movie was between twenty and twenty five million dollars, right? Uh, that is uh, really not that much, and, and certainly not enough for it to break into the top ten. Now it actually has a chance. The Meg is $58 million behind Mamma Mia 2, Here We Go Again, or Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. And if it surpasses Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, then I win the summer movie wager, guys. Yeah. So it has Uh. three weekends to surpass Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. It is going to be a tight finish. Like It it is going to be really close. I still think Chrissy's probably going to win, but yeah, I, I'd like it to do well, but you know, not that well. Unfortunately. <laughs> I still love yeah, I mean, we're all pulling for Christy. Uh, all that is good and right in the world is pulling for Christy. Yeah, uh, yeah. but but it's a it's an amazing thing to make this come down to a photo finish. 
uh, all the rest of us, every other member of the summer movie wager has been mathematically eliminated at this point. <laughs> yes, it is down sad. to the Meg and Mamma Mia, here we go again to determine the winner, which, by the way, I don't think is something we would have predicted when we started this thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, um, thanks to all the, the hashtag Save Dave Wave for turning out in theaters. And, uh, yes, we'll... thanks, thanks for both of the hashtag Save Dave Wave posters. <laughs> <laughs> um, both million of them, I think, is what you mean to say, Jeff. Mm, ah, yeah. Uh, anyway, thanks, thanks a lot. And uh, you know, again, the take-home message here is: go see the Meg this weekend. Thank you. These are the people that uh, that root for the bad guy, I guess. Um, the... <laughs> I think you mean good guy. Uh, but you know, yeah. I understand you're confused, you know, Jeff. You're in the throes of uh, parenting. You're probably really confused mm. right now. You probably haven't gotten enough sleep. So uh, all of that is true. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, also, last week we announced a contest to win a Blu-ray copy of Avengers: Infinity War. Uh, three Blu-ray copies, actually. And uh, I wanted to announce who the winners of that contest were. So we received over 150 entries for this contest. Uh, and so thank you so much for entering the contest. Uh, and if you want to know the winners, they are uh, the people who I'm going to read right now. I'm just going to verify. That they are the winners before I read them. Uh, so just give me like a moment while I'm no, pulling up seamless. that verification. Yeah. Okay. Seamless. Here we go. Here we go. No one's noticing anything. Uh, uh, Stuart from Livingston, New Jersey. Stuart K from Livingston, New Jersey. John M from Providence, Rhode Island, and Eric Y from Dublin, California. Uh, I'm going to read actually a couple of their entries. This is from John M. So, so the question that we asked you to email into sliceformcast.gmail.com was, uh, what is your favorite crossover event of all time? Favorite crossover event of, of all time? Avengers Infinity War, which Blu-ray comes out this week, has been described as um, the greatest crossover event of all time. So we asked you what your favorite crossover events were. John M., who won the contest, won a Blu-ray of Avengers Infinity War, wrote in, quote, I'm going to let you finish, but Space Jam is the greatest crossover event of all time. Uh. You've got Looney Tunes, some of the OG tunes, arguably the most successful cartoon characters outside the Mouse House itself. Just when you think Bugs Bunny is irrelevant, boom, Space Jam. Mm. Michael Jordan, literally the Michael Jordan of basketball, (laughs) brought out of retirement straight to the big screen for the best acting performance since Kazam, which was just four months earlier. 1996 was a good year. And so many other greats like Charles, Larry, Newman, Dan, uh, or Bill Murray, Yosemite Sam, Foghorn, and Leghorn, truly the greatest crossover imaginable and a masterpiece of cinema. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. So that's from John from Providence, Rhode Island. I think, I think that was wonderful, and I think you killed one of his jokes in the delivery, Dave. Oh, really? I think he was, he was trying to say uh, <laughs> the best acting since Kazam, which was four months earlier, 1996 was a good year. You know, that was like it was. He was making a little, uh, little run there. It was fun. Yeah, I, I, I tried to capture, it, but I guess I'm, I'm being critiqued by the, uh, by the acting yeah. teacher on the podcast, oh. and that's okay. You know, I take mm-hmm. that criticism. I take that. Crit- so, John, if you feel I did not do the justice, then I apologize. I but, think that is a strong, strong contender for best crossover event of all time. Undoubtedly, least likely crossover event of all time. Yes, right. Yes, agreed. <laughs> I was just tickled by the phrase uh, "Michael Jordan," literally the Michael Jordan of basketball. <laughs> Indeed, I just thought that is amazing. Bugs Bunny, the Michael Jordan of wisecracking bunnies, undoubtedly. Mm, mm. 
This email comes in from Eric, who also won the contest. This is a, this is kind of a different. You know, I don't know how closely you follow the rules here, but uh, I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, so Eric. Uh, writes in, for me, it has to be Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. It's not a crossover in the sense of lots of characters or storylines coming into the same universe, as with the ca- crossover, as as was the case Infinity War, but rather a crossover of creative threads, cultures, and sources. It has long amazed me that George Lucas, Lawrence Kasdan, and others who worked on the original Star Wars could cross over so many cultural philosophies, film styles, and influences into a single movie. Everything from Flash Gordon, Akira Kurosawa. Kendo, martial arts, and Asian philosophies to Joseph Campbell, symphonic orchestras, puppets, and old World War II dogfighting footage. Many of these things were not known at the time to be particularly popular or attractive to mainstream American audiences. It seems to me that only a completely insane person or an insanely brilliant person would think that combining these influences would result in a film that would be anywhere near as beloved as Star Wars actually is. In a day and age where the box office seems to be dominated by sequels and established properties, to me, Star Wars really stands out as a terrific example of the benefits of deeply appreciating so many perspectives, cultures, and philosophies, and bringing them together to make something beautiful and enduring. End quote. So that's from Eric. I thought that was a lovely email. You know, really no, he's me... disqualified. He doesn't win. <laughs> <laughs> it made me rethink. You know, like Star Wars, obviously, is such a part of our culture today. But uh, when you think about it, combining mm-hmm. all those disparate elements probably it is seemed a in- crossover. Yeah, pr- probably seemed insane at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, George Lucas pulled it off in a way that uh, has made a massive impact on our culture. So, uh, really appreciated that email from Eric. Uh, who wrote into slash from and thanks to all the people who wrote in the crossover. Sorry if you didn't win, uh, but we appreciate you giving the shot and writing into us about your favorite crossovers. Guys, on the slash Filmcast, uh, what are your favorite crossover events of all time? Let's talk about those. Jeff Kanata, your favorite crossover event of all time. Well, you, you, we were talking about this before we started recording, and you sort of dismissively said, uh, you can say something about wrestling. That was not dismissive, Jeff. I, <laughs> I was sort I of was like saying, throwing me a bone. I was making like a prediction. I was like, uh, Jeff, I have a feeling yours is going to be about wrestling. That's, that's what it was more like. Then I realized, that's a great idea, Dave. <laughs> and I went, I went back to my, in, into my brain to, to March of 2001. And remembered when Vince McMahon appeared on the Jumbotron inside WCW Nitro. What? How could that be? They were the biggest competitors. It was the Monday Night Wars. Raw. WWE Raw versus WCW Nitro. They were on opposite each other. They backstabbed. They stole talent from each other. There was a, it was a massive battle of ratings and and there was all kinds of real life hostility and anger and companies trying to outwit and outsmart and outprogram each other. And then Vince McMahon comes and buys WCW from Ted Turner, the brand, the property, the rights to all the contracts, all of the back catalog of, of uh, old pay-per-views and what have you. And then he surprise announces it by appearing on their show at the same time he's on his show, which are opposite each other. And so whichever show you were watching, you were watching the same show at the same time. Boom. He wins. <laughs> he wins. And it was, uh, it was an amazing moment. Like, it was something I couldn't believe I was w- witnessing at the time. It effectively ruined wrestling for the next, I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> but at the time it seemed like the mo- the coolest possible thing. And, uh, mm. one of the most amazing crossover events of all time for sure. 
Awesome. Okay, I, I, I'll say mine. I'll say mine. And actually, I feel really bad because someone actually entered the contest with this crossover event, um, but did not win. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to read his email. You just have to hopes, keep it for yourself. Dave. In the yeah. hopes, yeah. I'm gonna, well, I'm going to read his email in the hopes that, like, the fact that I'm reading it is some kind of uh, consolation prize. <laughs> this email comes from Nick from Claremont, Florida. Nick writes into slash filmcast at gmail.com. We can all say Avengers Infinity War is a great crossover, but honestly, not since the dawn of time has a crossover been as great as when Steve Urkel from Family Matters took a jetpack from his home in Chicago to <laughs> step-by-step's world in Washington. Yes. It's a fun crossover of TV shows and was truly a fun moment in my childhood. Oh, and also, anytime the Animaniacs mess with a celebrity, but I digress, bring on the Family Matters and step-by-step reunion. Uh, so that email comes in from Nick from Claremont, Florida. Sorry you didn't win, Nick, but that actually is... The crossover event that, like, if I had to go back and cho- choose a crossover <laughs> event that is most seminal in my existence, it would be <laughs> the time that uh, Steve Urkel crossed over into Family Matters. Uh, I'm sorry, from right. Family Matters, crossed over into Step right. by Steps World. Like, that was so mind-blowing. First of all, I, I'm a big fan of TGIF when I was young, right? I mean, uh, I would really look forward to Friday nights and watching all those sitcoms and, and getting to know those characters. But then the idea that they could somehow interact with each other... Uh, was so mind-blowing. It, you know, it was like, uh, Jeff, we talked last week about Christopher Robin world and how having, like, an, an animated bear, like, stuffed bear in the real world is, like, some kind of violation of the laws of space and time. That's yeah. how it felt like to me when Steve Urkel appeared in Step by Step. You know, the, yeah, this no, idea that, like, similar. they're, they're both, not supposed... Yeah, horrifying in their own ways. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, it's, it, this, this barrier is never supposed to be breached <laughs> and it was breached. It really, it really opened my mind, yeah. Um, to yeah. what is pot like. Not it's since weird you know when that happens too, because it means in one universe, right? In step by step, somebody can also create a serum that makes a nerdy person super cool, right? Like that's what that's what it unlocks, right? <laughs> that is I, that is a that is a family matters deep cut, Devinger, and I love it. It's not even that deep. That is <laughs> that's like surface cut. That's but okay, poor yeah. Urkel. Uh, yeah, I I like imagining the writers room when they're like, "Hey guys, you know we can pull this off. We just we just have to figure out how we get Urkel to Chicago." Uh, and then some guy raises his hand and goes, "You know he's a nerd, right? Why not just give him a jetpack?" And everybody's like, "Gus, that is why you are on the payroll, buddy. You <laughs> knocked it out of the park. Just give him a jetpack." Uh, I, f- first of all, I think, I think, uh, Urkel is already in Chicago. It's, um, I don't know. It- <laughs> step by step, I believe takes place in Port Washington, Wisconsin, I think. Um, Somebody in chat is saying Wisconsin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's in Port Washington, Wisconsin. So that's, that's the destination, Jeffrey. That's a, that's a really hype place to, uh, to set a TV show. I know. Amazing. Yeah. I remember uh, the you guys- for step by step. They look so exciting. That was all Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys see uh, Key and Peele's like Urkel sketch, which I thought was pretty uh, oh, yeah. brilliant deconstruction of Family Matters? I would check mm-hmm. if you if you haven't checked it out, Google Key and Peele Urkel and uh, and watch that video because it is it is brilliant. Okay, I'm not uh, I'm not yeah. a lot older than you guys, but uh, I am yeah. enough older than you guys that this was not my jam. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> no. yeah, you, were I, in, you were in college by that point, Jeff. You I were... really couldn't even tell you what Step by Step was about or who was yeah, in it. Yeah, mm. it's okay. I know but about family matters. On, you missed out on Boy Meets World, which uh, that was good. That yeah. was good. Yeah. yeah, other than the finale, that was good. Um, yeah. Devendra, 
your uh, favorite crossover event? I get a couple. Yeah. I uh, I have one, but I'll need you guys to slash film court judge if it's actually a crossover. Mm. Uh, but somebody mentioned Space Jam. Uh, I have to say, um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit did that better with competing franchises. Uh, that seems like a better crossover to me. Mm. Uh, Kingdom Hearts, mm. that, that insanity yeah. is like, that is, I don't even know what's happening there anymore. But just the idea of that when that started and all these Squaresoft characters and all these Disney characters and literally everybody from Disney was jumping in there. That was pretty crazy. Um, uh, what else? The episode of The Simpsons where the critic yeah, mm, and Matt Groening took his name off of the episode because he disagreed <laughs> with it so much. I love the episode, though. Like, I think it really works um, as much as it was also like a big corporate thing. Uh, I thought it stinks. <laughs> mm, nice. That's yes. A, that's a deep. Very cut. nice. Very nice. Uh, I, don't I have think to so, say, Jeff. though, the one that it feels like a crossover to me, right, is a is a secret sequel, a crossover. Because I think in the moment it is, and I think in the moments as I was sitting there watching the final minutes of uh, of Split, that was definitely that was crossover like material for me, and I I wanted to get up and shout. So I think that has to be my top one. What's the statute of limitations on that, Dave? I'm I don't know. That. Well, first of all, I think Devendra was oblique enough that it's that's that's okay. Yeah, um, I but know. I mean, look, I went to the theater uh, uh, yesterday to go see Black Klansman. And there's posters of glass everywhere, you know, the, the yep, new yeah. M. Night Shyamalan movie. Like it's so people would I, I don't even know. Nobody really saw Split, right? So maybe they won't even register what happened there. Yeah. yeah. Suffice to say, Glass is gonna be insane when that movie comes out. And then we'll just all leave right. it at that. But Devendra, great choices for greatest crossover event of all time. Um and respect for for, for those choices as well as uh, everyone else's choices. Uh okay. So thanks for writing in. One other thing I want to mention before we dive into our review of the Meg. Get it? Dive into. Um, Because it's in water. Yeah, that's right. Very good, Jeff. I get it. Um, So, uh, you know, there's two two things. Two things I want to say. Um, Number one is uh, I I hate to get sentimental. Oh, heck, that's not true. I love to get sentimental, guys. But I've uh, really felt like uh, very warm feelings from our uh, listenership recently. I don't know if you guys have seen, I forwarded you these emails. We've talked about them, but a lot of emails recently from people just saying that uh, uh, they're extremely grateful for the show, that the show helped them through challenging times of their lives, like illnesses and, um, and other extremely taxing time periods and uh, it's extremely meaningful to all of us when you write into us at slashfilmcastgmail.com with that. Uh, and I, I don't take it for granted. You know, I, I'm I'm just very grateful to to all of our listeners for uh, continuing to listen, allowing us to do what we would do every week on this podcast. Uh, so that's one thing I just wanted to say right up front. And yeah, I, I, well, yeah, I think we should all echo that. I, it's yeah. it, these emails in particular. We get them every now and again, but it seems like there's been uh, uh, several all in a row recently. And uh, I think everybody should be aware that we read all the email that comes in and uh, it does, it does mean a lot. It's an amazing thing to help create something that means something to people. It's a, it's a pretty special feeling and we appreciate Mm -hmm. you guys taking the time to share those, those thoughts and emotions with us. Indeed. And here's a, here's another thing that's like, kind of uh so that's point one i wanted to make point two and then i'm gonna like bring them together with point three but point number two is you may or may not know 
there is a new film coming out this week called Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, and this is the one of the only films in the last 25 years to feature predominantly Asian-American cast, to be about, you know... Uh, issues that Asian Americans encounter uh, and have like Asian American people behind the camera and, and as part of the filmmaking crew, uh, a, a lot of them. So uh, we, we only get a shot at this every, every 25 years <laughs> and uh, we want this to go well. And I was extremely moved uh, this week when I saw this article uh, in the Hollywood Reporter uh, cover story about the making of Crazy Rich Asians. You guys have a chance to see this, this article? Um, mm-hmm. It is it's insane. It's insane what this article uh, talks about. Uh, the 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 headline is uh, the stakes are high for crazy rich Asians, and that's the point. And it's it's essentially a uh, description of how uh, John Chu, the director and friend of the show, as well as Kevin Kwan, uh, the writer of the novel, the twenty thirteen novel Crazy Rich Asians, on which the film was based, uh, how they had to turn down an offer from Netflix. Uh, in order to get this movie out into theaters. And Netflix offered them a trilogy of films. They offered them uh, complete creative control and many, many millions of dollars. Like in, enough that like if they accepted this deal, they're like set for life. Or They ex- would be actually crazy. crazy That's right, yeah. And they turned it down. They turned it down to go with a conventional release from uh, one of the big movie studios. And the reason they did that was because uh, they wanted this movie to be seen on the big screen. Nice. Uh, And, uh, you know, so many aspects of this article uh, resonated with me and and moved me. Um, So apparently Kevin Kwan and John Chu uh, had already tried to rationalize the cash grab, the article says. Quote, uh, maybe we donate a percentage of our extra income to great causes. Chu recalls the two having discussed the night before. But where does that money go? Right back to trying to get to this position of getting us uh, onto the big screen. End quote. You know, like the, the idea, like maybe we could just take the money, donate it. But he's like, well, what would we do with that money? Try to get to the exact point that they were at at this moment in time. Um, and so they took a massive risk. They, and, and they talked about how like they were at the point in their careers where they could take a big risk. Here, I'm going to quote here from Kevin Kwan. I could sense every lawyer on the phone call shaking their heads. Ugh, these stupid idealists. Here we have a chance for this gigantic payday instantaneously. But John and I felt this sense of purpose. We needed this to be an old-fashioned cinematic experience, not for fans to sit in front of a TV and just press a button. We were gifted this position to make a decision no one else can make, which is turning down the big payday for rolling the dice on the box office. But being invited to the big party, which is people paying money to go see us. End quote. Uh, and so reading this article, I would recommend you check out the whole thing. Uh, extremely moving. And uh, as, a, as a fellow Asian American, uh, I just want to do everything I can to support this movie at the box office and to show people that uh, when they roll the dice on having more diversity in their films, on, on telling stories that they don't normally tell, uh, that that can also mean big business. Uh, and so uh, that's my second point that I wanted to make. And so uh, point three that joins these points together is my wife and I have rented out a theater uh, in Seattle. And uh, we are giving away You can tickets. just do that? <laughs> you, can, you can rent out a theater. I can tell you about the, ah. how to do that. Yeah. Uh, but we rented out a 120-seat theater in downtown Seattle. 
And this Saturday uh, at 1 p.m., we are screening Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, and if you are a listener to the show um, who has been a fan, who has supported what we do, in many ways, us doing this show is to A, uh, us doing this screening, I should say, is to A, show support for Crazy Rich Asians, the film, and also as kind of a, a, a way to give back to anyone who happens to be in the Seattle area um, who is a listener of the show. Uh, we want you to come and, uh, and see this movie for free and uh, support this movie on opening weekend. So there's apparently a, a movement around the country from Asian Americans to, to rent out theaters and pack them full of people. Uh, it's hashtag gold open, I think, is the way they're referring to it. <laughs> hashtag gold open. Uh, and if you Google that, you can find an article about that. Um, so I am trying to join the movement of hashtag gold open and also like inviting uh, slash filmcast listeners and, and some of our local friends and colleagues to come to the screening. So uh, how do you RSVP? Go to seattlegoldopen.com. There's uh, an event set up there. And uh, just RSVP and show up you know, at least 15 minutes before on Saturday at 1 p.m. Uh, that's Saturday, August 18th at Regal Meridian in downtown Seattle. We'd love to see you. Uh, and listeners of the show are really one of the one of the primary audiences for the screening. So uh, I know we can't be everywhere on the Slash Filmcast, but if you're around Seattle area and uh, want to come, you're welcome to. So seattlegoldopen.com. I would say that primarily this is for people who wouldn't have otherwise seen this on opening weekend. Because <laughs> if you were going to see it on opening weekend, you know, pay for a ticket and, and uh, you're, give you're it just killing money. the box office now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, I don't want to cannibalize the box office. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, you know, like if you were going to see it anyway, uh, I, I'm not going to turn you away at the door. So seattlegoldopen.com. Uh, check it out. And we will be reviewing that movie on the podcast. So anyway, that's really cool, man. It's really cool that you're doing that. It's really cool yeah. of them as the filmmakers to have, I mean, it's it's truly putting your money where your mouth is, right? Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's uh, you know putting putting yourself on the line, both of you, uh, both mm-hmm. of the filmmakers who who clearly have done that, and deciding that the, their ideology and their and their um, you know uh, their their goals are are bigger than just putting cash in their pocket, and I think yeah. that's a pretty big deal. And and you doing the same, you know, you saying, hey, it's worth me. You know, uh, putting putting up my own dollars to make a statement in my own way. I think that's very laudable on both both counts. Yeah, uh, this movie, uh, you know, it's a romantic comedy, but it's uh, like it has taken on this kind of weird importance in the Asian American community. Like, there's like a lot of desire <laughs> to see this movie do well. Right. Uh, I've already seen the film, and um, you know, I, I, I will put it. I'll put it this way: I would not have spent the amount of money it takes to rent out a theater for people if I did not like the film. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Like, okay. Um, so uh, I, I can I can vouch that uh, at least most of the people coming will have a good time. Um, but it, there's a lot riding on this. There there is scripts that may get greenlit if this movie does well. Um, and you know, there's a quote in this um, article. There's like, you can look at Get Out, you can look at Black Panther. It changes the whole economics of the business when movies like that succeed. It meant something to us to become a comp for some somebody else. Uh, and what uh, the person being quoted there, Nina Jacobson, is talking about becoming a comp is basically. Uh, from this point forward, if the movie does well, from this point forward, it's like, oh, we can make this movie about Asian Americans because it can be like Crazy Rich Asians, which made X million dollars. You know, like it can be part like it will forever be compared to other movies like this type 
that are going to be attempted to be made. Uh, and so there's a lot riding on whether it does well or not. You know, that's and, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. no that, go ahead, Jeff. Um, it's interesting to me that uh, I have not seen the movie. I have not seen any trailers for the movie. I don't know really what it's about at all. But it is. Uh, it's funny to me that that uh, uh, this movie has taken on this this uh, role be- based on the title, which does not seem to be complimentary. In yeah, any way. you know, it to be a positive portrayal. <laughs> you know? We had a friend over our house uh, the other day, and they asked us, like, "Hey, you know." What do you what do you think of cre- the, uh, we we had a friend of ours who is not Asian come over to our house uh, and have dinner with us the other day and they said what do you think of Crazy Rich Asians like are you like offended by that and uh, I am worried that the title like sounds offensive to people you know like they think oh that that sounds uncomplimentary of, of Asians but it, you know I think it's, it's very tongue in cheek and it's obviously the book was written by uh, an Asian person. So, right. uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a good point about like the title potentially being a turnoff. I hope it's not. Uh, I think the books were very popular, and I think people will see the movie based on the mm-hmm. books. So, uh, Devendra, you have plans to see this movie as well? I I don't know. I hear uh, <laughs> I hear it's hear it's all right. Yeah, no, I'm definitely looking for it. Uh, love John Chu. Love the cast as well. And I also want all these things to succeed too. They described it as the uh, the Avengers of Asian casts. Like it's like basically <laughs> like every Asian person that you might know about, uh, you know, as an actor in Hollywood is in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's awesome. Like everyone is coming together. Um, Constance Wu, who is in Fresh Off the Boat, uh, they had to delay production for many months. It cost them money to do that, but they did it so that they could get her in the the main protagonist role. At one point, by the way, um, they tried to make this movie with a white female protagonist, uh, but. Um, I'm sure that would have made a lot of sense. <laughs> that, didn't, yeah. that did not go over well with uh, Kevin Kwan, who wrote the book, and he he put it. He was able to put a kibosh on that. Fortunately, <laughs> uh, I can but, imagine a world where that happened to like ten years ago. <laughs> ten years ago, that probably would have happened. Yeah, Man. yeah. I'm glad that like that that, that kind of stuff uh, certainly has a more difficult time getting off the ground these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, any, anyway, it's uh, us renting out this theater at SeattleGoldOpen.com is our way of saying. Um, thank you to John Chu and to all the filmmakers of this movie for taking a massive chance with their livelihoods, with their professional life, just to give Asian Americans a chance to be on the big screen. Like, it's our way of saying thank you to them. It's also our way of th- saying thank you to all of our listeners uh, who are able to make it. And, um, you know, thank you for supporting this podcast and continuing to, to check it out. Before we get to our review of The Meg, we also want to thank all the people that donated to the podcast this week. Thanks to Kenny Amaral uh, for his donation. And thanks to new subscribers Brandon Rhodes, Ujwal Nair, Pierre Skoldberg, and Travis Thompson for uh, subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to support what we do here on the podcast and uh, help us defray the cost of seeing movies and talking about them on the show, you can go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Uh, and donate that way. You can also go to SlashFilm.com, use the PayPal links on the side of the page of the Slash Filmcast tab right there at the top. Um, thanks to all of our donors. You guys helped make this show possible. Let's move on to our review of The Meg. There's a monster outside. What you people discovered is bigger than we ever thought possible. How big is that thing? It was the largest shark that ever existed. A living fossil. Thought to have been extinct over two million years. Wrong. 
Megalodon. That was from the trailer for The Meg, the newest film by director John Turtletaub. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. After escaping an attack by what he claims was a 70-foot shark, Jonas Taylor must confront his fears to save those trapped in a sunken submersible. <laughs> that, is, that is the plot summary of The Meg. It's a pretty good Meg. description. Yeah. yeah. Devendra, tell us what you thought of The Meg. Yeah. So this week, I saw a movie where a famous action star spends the first scene of his movie uh, making maybe a terrible mistake, uh, you know, in the face of danger. Uh, He spends the rest of the movie kind of regretting that and dealing with the consequences of that, all the while facing a major, gigantic, terrifying uh, villain of sorts while saving, you know, the people he loves and young children who are in danger because, of course, they're always in danger. And uh, they they go very much into one direction, like one specific. They either go up or down. So, yeah, enough about Skyscraper. <laughs> yes. Boom goes the dynamite. That was amazing. That's why we're reviewing. The that movie. was amazing. But I, I have to say, guys, when I heard Jason Statham was going to be in a movie where he was fighting a giant shark, I said to myself, we have to review the movie where Jason Statham is fighting a giant shark. I told this to Dave. Yes, and you now we said it to yourself. You said it to I said us. To myself, is... like, yes, this must happen. Uh, <laughs> I have to say, um, this movie is not everything I wanted it to be, but it's it's almost there. Like, you know, we talk about like schlocky movies. I think I wish this movie um, for me it was a lot of fun. I will put it that way. It has like most of what I wanted. I think um, Jason Statham does indeed fight the shark. And this movie is filled with like, some decent set pieces. I think it's filled with actors I actually enjoy. And there's some genuine stakes here. Like that people die. You know, bad things can actually happen during this movie. Uh, Certainly not to our hero, but maybe to the side characters. And that's more than I could say for Skyscraper, which was a movie that was so like, I think Skyscraper was maybe a more polished movie, but it was so polished to the point where it felt like a porcelain figure of sorts where like nothing there, there was no real danger there. You know, you know, like the rocks kids aren't going to die. Nev Campbell's not going to die in that movie. Uh, Where's this movie? You know, a lot of people die. I, I think, like, the stakes are much better here. I think Devendra's uh, arguing for someone to kill the Rock's kids in a movie. <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> well, I do think, like, it's very, to me, it was really interesting watching these two movies, you know, kind of back to back. This is a movie where, you know, something bad does happen at the beginning for both characters. And you look at Skyscraper. And The Rock's like, okay, well, he, you know, he lost his leg and that's very bad, but he also seems to be fine. His life is perfectly fine. He didn't lose anything. Uh, he has a great family. Uh, you know, he's he has this awesome job in a giant building. Who wouldn't want that? Uh, whereas Jason Statham <laughs> is asleep at a bar, you know, at like a random seaside town. You know, he's suffered consequences for this. I feel like the stakes there are much higher. Yeah, put uh, Statham but, in a big building. He'd be so yeah, much happier. He'd be so much happier. <laughs> you know, the building, the happier the person. That's what but I would I think say. this movie, like, it is, is for me, like, <laughs> as a fun, schlocky summer action movie thing. It's it's fine. It's fun. Uh, the there are set pieces here that I honestly didn't know how it was going to go. And I think there's some things that look uh, fun and thrilling. Uh, John Turtletaub is not the best action director out there, putting that mildly, I guess. Uh, but I think there's some shots like there's one shot of like the I think the hero shot of just Jason Statham underwater with a single harpoon. And the uh, the freaking shark is coming right at him. I saw this movie in Limax. And that I think is you know, one of my favorite cinematic images this year. It's it's just so much fun. Uh, I wish this movie lived up to, like, maybe Piranha 3D levels of camp. It doesn't quite do that. 
Uh, but it's certainly like, I think it accomplishes much of what it sets out to do. Rain Wilson, you know, Cliff Curtis. These are people I love seeing movies. Ruby Rose. Uh, Cliff Curtis. How many ships has Cliff Curtis captained in his movie career? Because it's many. <laughs> it never really goes well for him. But he keeps doing it anyway. So kind of love seeing that. <laughs> I I had a lot to enjoy with this movie. I'll say that. It's, a, it's not a good movie. It's a perfectly bad movie, but a fun and enjoyable one. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on the Meg? <laughs> I will agree with Devendra that this is a bad movie. Uh, <laughs> but no one tells the movie for like an hour. Like it, <laughs> it is, it's a campy, dumb, stupid movie. But no, but the movie doesn't admit it to itself for an hour. And it's so annoying that for an hour, <laughs> an hour of this movie. That's set it, up, Jeff. That's it all set thinks, up. It's all it thinks we're, we're watching The Thing. It's trying to be yeah. The Thing with a shark. And eventually it admits to itself, no, 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 I'm just a dumb movie where, you know, we put a little foo-foo dog in danger uh, and we do goofy gags about, you know, people getting eaten when they're inside a Zorba ball on the water. That's the movie we all knew this movie was. Except the movie doesn't know it is for way too long. Way, way, way I too mean, long. I mean, Jeff, it's it's the art of tension. You don't you don't start off uh full <laughs> thrust. Mm. You know, you gotta you gotta ease into it. I, I, would, I, like, think. I would like to uh bring into uh, refer the court to exhibit A, which is Deep Blue C. Mm. Uh, uh, Deep Blue C knows what movie it is right from the start. I don't know and, if you're really bolstering your point that yeah. that would be a better situation. I, 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 I think ultimately, though, I see your point, Jeff. Uh, I will let you finish, but I will say <laughs> everyone has very different tastes for bad movies, and that's the thing. I think I can't think of anything more personal in a you know in movie tastes other than bad movies you actually enjoy. No, I I concede that, but I just wish this movie would embrace what it is mm-hmm. way sooner, like. There are some fun moments that if we have to wait so long for them and all of the stuff leading up to it is it feels so tedious and overlong and not particularly interesting and a, a movie no one signed up for. When you go to the movies for the, you know, for the poster of the giant Jaws uh, eating tiny boat. Right. You, <laughs> let's get to that. Let's let's get to that. But, because, but, you know, Jeff, Jaws, Jaws does not start off showing you full thrust Jaws. It, this is not Jaws. It, this it is not, this movie that. is not Jaws. Yeah. This movie, this movie is, like you said, Critters or mm. uh, what, what, what was the movie you referenced? Uh, what did you say? It was the, the Piranha movie. Oh, Piranha uh, 3D. Piranha, Piranha 3D, yeah. I think, is genuinely batshit insane in a great and fantastic way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I and I listen, I'm not going to defend uh, um, skyscraper. It's terrible. I'm not going to say one is this is worse than that because it's not. It's just uh, neither of those movies realize that they're we're just here to have campy, goofy fun. Skyscraper has this diehard complex and thinks it can be diehard, and for way too long, the Meg has a Jaws complex and thinks it can be like way better if we don't see the shark for a while. No. No, it's there's no tension. There's no I at least for me. It, there was no wonderful build up. There's no rich characters like you get in Jaws. There's no feeling of of this city not understanding what what the terror is. 
all of the things that make Jaws Jaws are absent in this movie. This movie is only sure. here to get Jason Statham in, in the water with a giant shark and see what happens. And it takes <laughs> way too long for that to happen. And when it does happen, it's not great. It's, it, it is, I feel like even the gags are a little too pedestrian to, to make up for how long it took to get there. I just, I just didn't have as much fun with this movie as I was hoping. I, I'm, I'm down for a goofy fun time. I am. Like I said, I enjoy Deep Blue Sea. I think that movie is goofy fun and, and <laughs> dumb. Like that movie, you know, I'm scared for uh, LL Cool J's parrot. Yeah, I am. Yep. Right. Um, <laughs> the moment with the moment with Samuel Jackson is excellent. Iconic. Like, that mo- yeah. Yes. That movie. Like if you're thinking about going to see the Meg, rent Deep Blue Sea. I think you will like it more. If you're like me, you will like it more. <laughs> Uh, I just I don't, wish- I don't know if Deep Blue Sea is as enjoyable today as it was Maybe. when we first saw it. It's been a long Very time. Sad. If you if you like the here's the thing, the movie tickets tickets are expensive, everything. But I think if you're looking for like a nice, fun summer, you know, thing to just sit down and watch in the theater, you know, get some AC, run away from the heat a little, <laughs> uh, avoid <laughs> avoid the madness. Oh man, it's Boy, great. You're, you're really trailer. selling it. You're really That's selling amazing. it. Dude. Also, the shout out to, air conditioning. Shout out to Robert <laughs> Taylor in this movie. Robert Taylor. I want to see him in more stuff. AKA Agent Jones from The Matrix. AKA uh, Longmire. Sheriff Walt Longmire from TV. Love that guy. Great pathos. I, I think for me, this movie is just filled with like a bunch of people I just enjoy seeing. And that's kind of nice, honestly. And again, more so than Skyscraper. Um, yeah, it definitely has a better cast of more interesting people than Skyscraper. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't. I also don't think they were used well. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. It was. It's. It's not good. I don't. I didn't like it. I. Yeah. I found it to be disappointingly bland. I, and uh, and that's and that's my biggest criticism. I mean, what's great about movies like The Meg? It it makes you appreciate uh, what actually good movies do well. You know what I mean? Like The Meg is if you took Jaws. And you took out the tense filmmaking, the dazzling set pieces, the memorable characters. What would you have left? Uh, the answer to that question is a Meg. You know, like there's nothing memorable about this film. It is a complete nothing burger of a movie. Uh, there are some good things though. There are there are a couple of positive that elements. That makes it not a nothing burger. Yeah, <laughs> just, just come on. I know. I I, I just I, I mean, look. I always try to find the positive in the. I, I'm just talking about like the feeling I had after watching this movie is that that movie contributed absolutely nothing to my, you know, cinematic existence. Although uh, I did see it in Dolby Atmos at so 10 a.m. on a on a Saturday morning. It's a way to see the Meg. And even yeah. in that circumstance, it was not. Um, you know, I didn't. I didn't enjoy it that much. But I, I will say, I think the water, stu- some of the stuff they do with water, is uh, is actually effective. I, I think, like they they do a good job of selling the idea that they're out in the middle of the ocean. Uh, you know, some of the CG is rough, some of the water effects are rough. But like, there's they do this thing. Um, John Turtletaub or whoever his uh, his cinematographer is does this thing in this movie where. Uh, uh, multiple times, like the camera will go from above water and then, like in the same shot, immerse itself into water. Uh, like if someone's like diving, it'll like show you like that person diving into the water in one shot. And I found that to be really effective at actually convincing me that these people are doing the things that they're doing, that they're out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and so, yeah, so I, yeah, I, can I just say, speak to that point real yeah, quick? Go. I, I, I really think that. All of that for me was undermined by how the film was edited. Mm-hmm. It feels so 
unsure of itself and hyperkinetically mm-hmm. edited. And there apparently are shots. There, apparently there's a much bloodier cut that it, well, this was chopped down from too. So I don't know if that had part to do with it or something. There are, uh, there are a few moments where uh, there's one in particular where a, a, a boat is moved uh, in a way that it shouldn't be. <laughs> and everybody on the boat, like all the actors on the boat are <laughs> on it and it's being like dragged from behind. And it's an extraordinary visual and they had to have pulled that off somehow, but it's like a split second that they let us see it and, and they cut away. And there are so many moments in the movie like that where like the one cool thing we cut away from it super fast and we don't linger and there's no artfulness of how that really cool shot is presented to us. And, and yeah. the editing like undermines any kind of, they probably had to like fake that thing in a big way too, right? Like whatever you're seeing was it was a fraction of what was actually happening, right? I, I so I feel like all the things you're saying, Dave, about even what they practically did or what how the ideas are uh, conveyed to us all get undermined for me by the fact that the edit is just so uncertain of itself you know un mm. unconfident you know it's not it's not a confident edit it feels like okay we can't show you that too long we can't show you that too long we've got to show you something else every every half a second it's yeah know. yeah mm-hmm. I, I wasn't that bothered by the editing but you know i i was bothered by the other aspects of this movie which is like i, I think you put it really well jeff that this movie doesn't know what kind of movie it's trying to be um it, it's kind of two movies in one the movie that we want to see is something like piranha 3d Right, I, I think when you make that promise in your poster, right, that uh, there's going to be a gigantic shark eating like a uh, hundred people, that uh-huh. that's the promise that that poster makes, right? That is the promise that that uh, trailer makes, and the movie completely and utterly fails to deliver on that. That being said, that being said, movies like Piranha 3D don't do that well. <laughs> the Meg made more money in two days than Piranha 3D did in its entire run. Yeah, because uh, that was R-rated too. That was not yeah, it was friendly. R-rated. Yeah. But it, that movie was a, a lot of fun. It was really well. There was a lot of gore. A lot of this. The Meg is like a family film. You know what I mean? Like it's a <laughs> family horror film. It's a family horror. Like seriously, like you could. I, I would feel comfortable taking kids to see this movie. You know, because oh, it's like it's yeah. just it's not that gory. Uh, right? It, yeah. There's a there's um. It also, it also does not do the thing that shark movies do, which says be afraid to get in the water. Right. You know, like it, at no point do you feel like, oh my god, a, sh- a megalodon could eat me. It just it feels like this utterly alien concept that happened only to these people in this place. One of my favorite things uh, about that, Jeff, is uh, ba- basically uh, they explain uh, – this is relatively early on in the movie – that the Megalodon uh, is <laughs> – there's a reason it has not yep. reached uh, our world you know, prior to this, the events of this film. And due to actions that occur, the Megalodon reaches our shores – Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a one-time-only event. It's it's only circumstances specific to this specific megalodon. It or is, is the it? it is the Bush v. Gore of uh, <laughs> shark-related events. There's a that's a l- nice little reference for you you legal nerds out there. Wow. Anyway, wow. <laughs> You're welcome. I, I do have to say though, this movie. I know you guys like rules in movie in, in movies in general, right? Uh, yes. This movie 
sets up rules. And it, I, I think within its own logical framework, creates a rule by which a giant fucking shark can get out of where it is. And uh, it explains it. <laughs> yeah, and no, that's right. So many reviews where David Chen is like, uh, I, uh, how, how is this happening? The plot is not explaining <laughs> any of this. This movie is at least takes the time. It thought of Dave and you know, took the time to explain how the shark came to be. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I liked uh, I liked the pseudoscience as uh, as much as like the actual idea of what uh, the the secret environment uh, under the, just the way they explain it. Right. What you think is the floor of the Marianas Trench is not the floor of the Marianas Trench. Oh, <laughs> what I what I like what? What, I, what I like what I like is how we have Rain Wilson who's spending a billion dollars on this because of reasons. Uh, yeah. He's. There's literally no explanation as to how he's going to monetize this. <laughs> like, what does he think is going to like, let's get the let's get the bigger sharks so that we can do what exactly? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they don't even explain the rationale, yeah. really. Like, what we're going to get deeper than we've ever been before. And I'm going to make money and then something, something profit. <laughs> I mean, what, what what is what is Elon Musk's goal for half of this shit? You know, like there, there's there's a lot of stuff where this is all dick measuring. And his dick is pointed down instead of up. That's all. <laughs> well put, Devendra. Well put. Um, so uh, let's also put it this way. I think we're in a really interesting time in Hollywood right now mm-hmm. uh, where it's ex- becoming extremely clear that movies uh, like this one, like Pacific Rim Uprising, like uh-huh. Skyscraper, are, are totally made with the Chinese market in mind. You mean by crazy rich Asians? Yes. <laughs> That's correct. And uh, on the one hand, uh, I am always happy to see more Asian Americans and Asians on the big screen uh, in major studio releases. Uh, but on the other hand, I feel like sometimes, as in the case of this movie, uh, you get a really pretty <laughs> brutal and unfortunate melding of tones. Uh, in the, like like the, the drama between uh, the, uh, the main... Um, uh, Chinese actress uh, uh, Bing Bing Li and her uh, Su, who plays Su Yin and her character's father. You know, all that stuff feels completely at home in a Chinese drama, and mm-hmm. just does not work in this movie, in my opinion. Um, and uh, I think we're just we're going to see more and more of these kind of combinations as time goes on, because uh, it's just this movie is going to be yeah. insanely profitable. And I think Talk skyscraper- about cultural crossovers, by the way, like this is what we're seeing over and over again, too. Yeah. And I think I think skyscraper is going to do uh, decently as well. Like skyscraper made two hundred fifteen million dollars outside of the United States. And only $66 million. Oh, it hurts to read that number uh, inside the United <laughs> States. You know, so I think I think like co-financing and, and putting more people from different cultures in movies yeah. is going to prove to be more and more profitable as time goes on as the U.S. theatrical market continues to decline and as uh, yeah. the Chinese market continues to grow. Uh, and Skyscraper and The Meg are examples of that. And... Uh, you know, I don't. It's I don't kind of. Know. It's a good thing overall, man. Like Triple X Three is another example. Of this also great had Rose in it. Great example. Yeah, yeah. like great multicultural casts. Like, uh, you know, it had a lot of Asian folks in it too. But also, it's a movie that could play, I think, all over the world. So, 
I guess like, I, I guess I just yeah. wish that these movies could be good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, wish, I wish it could be like a good movie, if that I makes think, any uh, sense. There must there must be like at least one. There must be a handful <laughs> of examples of that. I don't know, but yeah. I, I will say like uh, yeah. Overall, like I think we can all agree this movie. You know, it's it's not a good movie. I personally don't think it's trying to be a good movie. I think it's it is trying to be this sort of like weird campy thing. I just wish it pushed harder there. I will say though, like I'm I'm gonna go to the mat for this. This is a much more fun and interesting movie than Skyscraper. You, you, you yeah. either you or me, you or I are taking yeah. crazy pills, Devendra, because the notion that this is so, somehow better than Skyscraper. Well, let I just me think let me tell you nonsense. how. Okay. And I, I said some of this already, but there are actual stakes here, right? Like uh, something bad happens at the beginning of the movie, and uh, other than you know, I, I think in this movie, like Jason Statham actually pays a much bigger. He pays a cost for it, like that affects his career and his life. He's not in a happy place, you know, after that bad event in the movie. Uh, whereas in Skyscraper, right, uh, you know, he loses his leg, which is awful. But he also seems to be perfectly adapted to life without it. Like he is not missing a step and he has he has his whole family like he has a really idealized life. And one thing I've noticed with uh, movies, you know, with The Rock is that he loves to play this Boy Scout hero. You know, he is the guy who will come in and save everybody and do all the cool stuff. And, you know, everything's going to turn out well by the end. Jason Statham is our, you know, roguish, uh, you know, antihero at times. You know, he's he's the he's the guy who's quipping and saying all sorts of shitty things while at the same time he has a heart of gold. I think he sells it better. Like the drama. This movie has actual drama, like you're saying, like between the the, you know, scientist daughter and her father. But also that love story didn't quite work. But I actually felt a spark there more than I did between, like, you know, The Rock and Nev Campbell. Like, there are things that happen. People actually die. And I think that's an important thing. Things go wrong in important and big ways in this movie. And that, like, that gives it a level of tension that something like Skyscraper didn't have. I knew that movie was safe. I knew nothing bad would happen in that movie. And that's why I started falling asleep during it. I, I think that the problem with this argument is that... <laughs> The the sky. We all agree, skyscraper is terrible. I know. I know. If, I'm saying judge these two movies against each other. And I, if, I, this is the scale right now. And if if uh, the Meg is better than skyscraper, it's not by much. <laughs> well, Devendra, I will say I still disagree with you, but uh, I think that was a solid argument. I, I think you made some good points there. Um, still, still don't think the Meg is any good. But oh, wait, wait, uh, what, what is the counter argument? Uh, the car, the counter argument is I don't know everything that Jeff everything that Jeff said like the, that the movie still I think fails to settle on uh, a tone and that the movie is just not much fun in my opinion there are fun mm. aspects to it I think you know Rain Wilson is hamming it up and that's kind of kind, kind of fun and but I also but mean it, like versus skyscraper because I think this movie and on that level is more fun than skyscraper yeah I would agree with that uh, I agree with that. That's it's more I'm fun saying. than skyscraper. That's all I'm saying. That's, tough, but that's, that's a, like such a low bar. It's, yeah, that's the thing. It's like it's like five percent better than skyscraper. You know, <laughs> uh, I uh, I think you make uh. a good point. I think you make a good point that uh, like doing the wrong Johnson. It's an, apt, it's an apt comparison because I think the audience maybe not be be clear that the only reason we're reviewing this be, is because you made us review skyscraper. <laughs> so this I understand why Devendra is making the comparison so vehemently. Yeah, yeah. But you also, they, they feel like the same. They're very similar films, though. Too, you know. Yeah. I, I think they're very similar. I think you're. It's a good point about The Rock always playing these um, family men, and and his movie. It's actually widely reported online. He changed the ending of Rampage. 
Yep. Uh, to, he forced the people to like the filmmakers to have a, a happier ending because The Rock likes everyone to be happy and everyone to get along. And and He's you'll notice that thing. he yeah. doesn't give in his movies, no matter what is happening, whether the Earth is literally breaking apart or whether uh, there is giant. Um, primates attacking chicago or Uh whether there is a massive skyscraper burning to the ground like no matter what is happening in those movies dude doesn't give a shit about anything other than his family right yeah and i think uh that's one of the reasons why he's so successful but it's also one of the reasons why his movies feel very similar and samey after a while um and you know to to your credit this movie does not feel that way you know it doesn't feel like i mean Jason Statham is a noble character, and he does have best intentions in mind. But you're right; he he is a fundamentally a damaged dude. And well, uh, I think yeah. my favorite thing about this movie is that it 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 does zag when most movies zig in the yep. sense that we see his ex wife, and of course, every other movie like this is how he and his ex wife will reconcile, mm-hmm. and you know he'll do some heroic thing, and she'll realize it was a mistake that they ever broke up. That's how all these movies go, right? I mean, Die Hard is that. Um, and this movie just completely doesn't care about that. It does it says, not give a crap about yeah, any of it that. Says, yeah, it uh, says he and his ex-wife are like are cool with being not married anymore. It's a and, surprisingly adult, yeah, solution yeah. to this whole thing. I just, I'm saving you because you are a person I care about, and that's it. Yeah, yeah I, I really respected that about the movie in the sense that, yeah, it didn't, it didn't care about any of that, and it didn't pander to that storyline. It... It uh, it deserves credit for at least that much. Well, Devendra, you made me dislike the Meg slightly less. Mission uh, accomplished. So I hope you. I am Tom Cruise at the end of Ghost Protocol, hitting that button. Mm. Yes, mm. mission accomplished. I, uh, I I hope you're happy with yourself. Uh, also, by the way, I should mention that actually that uh, that is a co-financed movie. Mission Impossible Fallout is yep. a co-financed yep. movie, and that uh, that's pretty good. So weren't the last few as well? I think. I think uh, up yeah, till Ghost so. Protocol. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I saw Mission Impossible fifth time this week. By the way, um, Jesus, la- final, final time with my parents. Okay, um, I'm still trying to find time to see it. A, a, you know, a second time. But yeah, yeah. More power to you, Dave. Um, you know, it's it's the benefits of being on the Stubbs A list. Put it that way. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, Devendra, thank you for uh, thank you for the dialogue on the Meg, and and I think slightly better of it at this point. So, uh, in any case. I think what we can all agree on is no matter what happens, people should go see this movie um, and give it money, you know? Um, no, so please do that no. so that David Chen can win the summer movie wager. <laughs> no. That's what the sub list is for. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, I think we're going to move on to our review of Black Klansman. Uh, but before we do that, uh, Jeff, I think you have not seen Black Klansman, so we're going to say goodbye, right? Yes, sadly, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it, but I have not seen it. So I will leave it to you guys and uh, wish you the best. All right, where can we find more of your work, Jeff Kanata? Well, you can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Kanata, with two N's and one T. And I also do a show about video games called DLC that you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Let's move on to our review of Black Clansman. There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here. This is Ron Stallworth calling. Who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? God. Last time I checked, 
What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans, and Irish, Italians, and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. That was from the trailer of Black Klansman, the newest film by Spike Lee. Uh, I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Ron Stallworth, uh, an African-American police officer from Colorado, successfully manages to infiltrate the local Ku Klux Klan. Uh, So, given your hard work, you were really uh, set on us reviewing this movie on the Slash Filmcast. Tell us why and tell us what you thought of the movie. Because the movie is amazing. I think this is Spike Lee's best movie since Inside Man. And I really, you know, I kind of respect where he went after that. It didn't always go well. Uh, He did some uh, studio movies. He did Old Boy. Uh, But he also did a bunch of independent movies that really he poured his heart and soul into, like Red Hook Summer and The Sweet-Blooded Jesus and Chirac. And Red Hook Summer, you know, there's good stuff in there. Chirac, there's good stuff. Not not a huge fan of The Sweet-Blooded Jesus. Um, But... You know, he's a guy that's so talented. I was just waiting for him to, like, get a good script. Um, Oh, also, he rebooted She's Gotta Have It on Netflix. And I really liked what they did with that because it wasn't just him directing. It was also, like, a bunch of people, a bunch of great folks. Um, But this movie is an example of Spike Lee working with a powerhouse script. And once you do that, you know, once you give him good material, that's actually, you know, he knows how to communicate. I think he is, like, phenomenal. He is one of the most talented directors working today. So I'm very glad that, you know, he had a chance to show off his skills again. Uh, this movie is, for me, it, it's really interesting on multiple levels, too. The idea of, you know, a Colorado cop, the first black cop in that city, pulling off an investigation like this. I think the story itself is so, it's fascinating. Uh, the actors in general, uh, John David Washington, doing his, not like an impression of his father, but definitely making me remember the old days of uh, Denzel Washington movies, too. Like, there's there's just so much going on in here. Um, and I think this is a perfect movie for our time as well, right? I sat down to see this movie uh, this past Sunday as, uh, you know, uh, white nationalists were preparing to march on Washington. Didn't quite work out for them. There were dozens of them and hundreds of protesters against them. Uh, but this felt like the perfect movie to watch at that point. And it's just so damn poignant. Yeah, I believe the release date of this film is uh, like the same date as like, yep. a year ago as when that Charlottesville uh, rally occurred and mm-hmm. uh, Heather Hare was was killed. Um, and I, I d- does not feel like a coincidence, you know, that that uh, it was released on that same date. Uh, I'll, I'll say before we dive into spoilers for this movie that I was unprepared for this movie. Uh, I yeah. think that. When you think of the concept of a an African-American police officer infiltrating Ku Klux Klan, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, the Dave Chappelle sketch about a similar subject, which is where yes. a, a blind black person uh, joins the Ku Klux Klan. Um, and it's a very famous sketch, uh, and it is fairly amusing. Clayton Bigsby, uh, and you can still find that sketch on uh, Comedy Central's website. And I think all the trailers are really kind of – I don't know that they necessarily market this as a comedy, uh, but they certainly lean into the kind of more upbeat um, and mm-hmm. occasionally humorous elements of this film. And like this movie it, does have that. It does have yeah. that. Yeah, it is It is yeah. at times very funny. Uh, but 
it, it is extremely heavy in my opinion and mm-hmm. uh it, very intense and very brutal and really a, uh designed to be and effectively a wake up call uh yep. in my opinion a wake up call about how little things have changed in the in the past few decades how terrible uh this country continues to treat minorities and I I just was not ready for that. You know, I was not ready mm-hmm. for it to be that uh, intensive an indictment of American society. Yeah, but I think this, it does... this movie is, is so deep, Dave. It goes back and it like it it you know criticizes the birth of a nation. Yes, you know one of, one of the first blockbuster movie that everybody saw, and just seeing him kind of rally, you know wrangle with all of that within the context of this movie too. Like there is a sequence later on that I feel is edited in the same way as like the yeah, big we'll, climate. We'll get to battle. that. We'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, so But there is a lot like for for a movie to not just like appeal to things that have happened recently in the most recent decades, but to go back pretty much a hundred years to, you know, yeah. the most racist movie ever made. Uh that's it's kind of fascinating seeing what he's doing here. This is his full powers on display. Uh yeah, I, I agree completely. I think uh, if if there's any downside to this movie, I would say uh, it is very didactic. Um, but sure. I don't care, you know. I don't. Yeah, I yeah. think I think we need didacticism. I think we America needs a lesson right now. So I think like <laughs> it's completely deserved, you know. Like it is like <laughs> there there are moments in the movie, and I think you know what I'm talking about, where the parallels to modern day are spelled out in oh, extreme. Yeah detail like like they should be winking at the camera but they're not they're, yeah, they're, yeah exactly they're like they're basically like winking at the camera and uh my inclination is to be bothered by that my inclination is to think like oh it's it's not artful enough but you know what we live in unartful times Devendra. <laughs> um and so i think yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a movie that is completely appropriate for uh what i, we're I felt through. the same way about like sorry to bother you too because that had some very didactic aspects to it but also like yeah that movie i think is as much a wake-up call as this one too just that one goes on a more fanciful route about it mm. but yeah like it's uh, spike lee has never been like a super subtle director i think like when he wants to lean into a message he will say it as loudly as he can and you know more power to him for it because i think a lot of those messages in general are things that i think more people should be thinking about and yeah talking about this movie is uh being deep dave like yeah this feels like on the level of his greatest works this feels like you know something like um do the right thing which is such a fun and joyous movie and then like descends into chaos and kind of rebounds into this you know period of unity almost uh, this movie feels even heavier because there is no like resolution kind of after it. It's just mm-hmm. like this this ongoing chaos in America. But yeah, I think this is like the perfect follow up to do the right thing. All right, why don't we dive into spoilers for Black Klansman starting right now? Now you're looking for the secret. You're trying to see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been. Dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. So, uh, the movie really starts to pick up the pace towards the end, right? Mm-hmm. When they uh, get to that induction ceremony. Um, and you were alluding uh, to the usage of Birth of a Nation in the movie. Uh, Matt Singer actually wrote a great piece about it at Screen Crush. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, no, no. Entitled How Spike Lee Used Black Klansmen to Get Revenge on One of the Most Racist Movies uh, Ever Made. 
Uh, uh, and he, he, he points out that towards the end of this movie, there is a sequence uh, where the Klansmen are watching D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. And one of the things that that movie pioneered is this idea of um, uh, cu- cutting between two different storylines in two different locations, also known right. as parallel editing. Because we had never, nobody had ever seen that before. Movies were so early, right? right. Just the idea of cutting outside of the scene was crazy. Right. And then this movie uh, does parallel editing between uh, the Klansman meeting where they're, you know, they're trying to stir up hate. And then this meeting at the Black Student Union where they're talking about how uh, one of their own has been tragically and, and unjustly mur- like tortured and murdered. And it sets these two things up to show the audience, to say to the audience, uh, the, the message I got from it. First of all, like obviously mm-hmm. it's a big F you to Birth of a Nation, but the message I got is people will try to tell you that these two things are equivalent, yeah. and they are yeah. not equivalent. right? And I, I, Spike Lee, am going to show you in the most stark way imaginable how not equivalent they are. right? Uh, and I just found that incredibly powerful. Uh, and and a message that you know everyone today needs to consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else about kind of the latter half or latter third of this movie that you want to mention? We couldn't talk about in spoilers. Um, I I think this movie is just a great example, like showing how well he manages tension, like that final bit where he knows, like, okay, something's going on here with this lady, right? I'm going to go follow her. The whole you know sequence where he confronts her, and then the cops come. And you kind of know where that's going to go. And just like that, that feels like the ultimate injustice of it all, too. Right. That he is, you know, trying to save people uh, from this killer terrorist white woman and the cops won't even let him do that. And I think that is also like the culmination of a lot of the ideas here. Like he believes in, you know, working within the system and trying to, you know, help and make it better. And the system itself is beating him down. Yeah, he does not let uh, let the system off the hook, you know, in this movie. And I think. Uh, this movie could have easily been made in such a way that you think uh, the police are the good guys, right? Like th- this, like if you just took this story and was like, this is about a black person infiltrating Ku Klux Klan, yep. like it could have easily been about like, oh, like law enforcement is a force for good in the in, in the country. Yeah. And did, did you it, see what uh, Boots Riley was saying, by the way? Yeah, yeah, that that, that was yeah. Boots Riley complaint about this yep. movie, right? Was mm-hmm. that um, it is too one sided in its depiction of uh, law enforcement as being like a positive force. I, I, you know, I disagree with Boots Riley on this. Like, I think that yeah. uh, you you do get enough of the uh, police. You do get yeah. enough glimpses of the police force to understand that at best it's a mixed record. You yeah. know, he's he like he is being shit on from the beginning within yeah. the police force. Like, barely yeah. let in. You know, disrespected in the records room. The chief like doesn't really respect that he has this ability. It's only when he gets to like that team, the team that he's working with that, you know, things kind of click a little. And even then, like he's, it's, they're fighting all these obstacles in their way. So I think, you know, boots, I understand like his politics too. Like he would definitely more align with the students in this movie who just would feel like all cops are bad. And that's, you know, it's not a viewpoint I share, but I can understand like why politically somebody would feel like that. Like you'll always feel like the cops are against you. Um, I think this movie does a great job of kind of balancing those ideas too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then of course the movie ends. Um, oh, so for, just so, so people understand, like the Boots Riley tweet is quote: After forty years of cop shows and cop movies, did we really need one more movie where it's supposed to be about racism, but the cops are the actual heroes of the film and the most effective force against racism? Question mark. 
rhetorical question end quote that's that's a tweet like uh, he he has he has been on a roll too like um people like uh fans have been complaining about the treatment of detroit in that movie too and yeah it's 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 one of those things an artist saying too much about his movie uh i i think uh the most hilarious response to that is someone saying hey you know different movies can have different approaches for instance have yep. you seen sorry to bother you um which <laughs> yes that was amazing legendary viral tweet of the year uh about boots riley's movie sorry to bother you uh, the finale of this movie uh, really knocked me flat. You know, I think the usage of archival footage from uh, the Charlottesville rally is uh, mm-hmm. brutal. I mean, yeah. like everyone in my screening was just stunned a- afterwards. It significantly dates the movie you know like it it, yeah. it, it it connects the movie to a single point in time but we can't like i it's important too because we shouldn't forget yeah, yeah no I'm, I'm not saying yeah. that is a bad thing I'm, yeah. sa- I'm saying like you know for for good or ill it dates them like whenever this movie will forever be connected to this moment in time yeah. and uh i i think that's what was what spike lee was trying to do mm-hmm. and it is stun. it's stunning it's stunning to see the parallels drawn in the way and the the archival footage edited in such a way that um it, it's just it's staggering how yeah. little things have advanced since uh not only how little things have advanced how much things have in some ways gotten worse right because it's now mainstreamed it's now like there's echoes of white supremacy and many of the things that the president of the united states is saying these days sure. um I mean, but at least, at least, I think the protest this year was an abject failure, and I think that that is that glimmer of hope, right? The people who rose up to fight. You're talking against about the it, recent Unite the, the Right recent, rally, I think, yeah. right? Is that the one? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and that th- that is a that is a glimmer of hope, but uh, I don't know. I we, no one knows how the next couple of years are going to play out, and sure. um, how much more mainstream these ideas are going to become, or how much um, people are going to be able to resist them. Yeah, but certainly a very potent message that that really uh, I, I thought to be devastating. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I, like, I actually knew it was coming. I had read, yeah, I accidentally yeah. read spoilers about this movie. I knew he was going to use that footage, and it still knocked me flat. Like, it's still yeah. really, uh, I, I had a difficult time dealing with it, you know? The moments, so. like, after the footage ends, and it's just, like, silence in the theater for, yeah. like, five seconds. It feels like a silence for Heather Hare and silence for everyone that was injured back then like it was that is I, I don't know i think the most connected i felt with an audience like we could we were just on the same wave of like terror and shock and determination i could feel too like it was a full theater at the bam theater here in brooklyn um yeah it, 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 to me that is the pure power of cinema right there indeed indeed all right any closing thoughts on this one Devendra? Um, I mean, I, I hope more people see it. Um, one, the one character I found really fascinating here too, that we didn't mention is, uh, the wife of one of the white supremacists, the only like a uh, white woman kind of featured in the film. What an interesting character, right? Like she is somebody who wants more for herself, especially at the beginning of the movie. Um, but is fully fine, like supporting her, you know, Nazi husband, 
um, you know, because she also wants to hate the she wants to hate people who aren't like her as well, as long as it, I guess, makes her life better. I don't know. I felt parallels there. And certainly within the, uh, you know, the amount of women we saw that supported the amount of white women that supported Trump, too, and kind yeah. of made all that um, possible. It's a, a, it's a, a majority, a majority of white women uh, voted for Donald Trump in the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I think and I'm not saying like a majority of white women in the United States, like of the white women that voted in the 2016 election, a majority of them went to Trump. And I I love that that character is in this movie because Mm -hmm. it's like, uh, that this character who, if you met on the street or saw at the supermarket, you might think, uh, what a completely lovely human being, super Mm -hmm. nice person. Um, you, you would never have guessed that this person has the capacity to uh, do things that would disadvantage or hurt or, in the case of the movie, brutally murder minorities. Um, but those people exist. And I think that that's what that movie, the movie, by putting that character in there, is saying. And I love that moment that they have like in bed with her husband, right? Yeah. Where they're yep. kind of like talking about their dreams. And it's just like, it's so twisted and demented mm-hmm. this like lovely couple that in any other movie like if it wasn't about um if, the, if it was a different plot and it was a this this couple sharing this moment in bed it would be oh mm-hmm. what, a, what a lovely couple and having a good time and like reinforcing the bonds of their love just like having some you know pre-sleeping uh chats about their history together um and in this movie it, it is absolutely horrifying and yeah. and it it kind of shows you that there are people in this world who do think that way and feel that way. And for them, the horror of them, the hor- the horror of these statements is completely lost upon them or mm-hmm. it doesn't matter or they don't even consider it to be horror at all. They think it's the opposite. They think it's like something extremely loving and pure. Um, I, I, I thought it was really trenchant. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, anything, anything else? Oh, shout out to Michael Buscemi, the other Buscemi. Oh, I was like, that guy looks like Steve Buscemi. Buscemi. I was like, is every that Steve time, Buscemi? Every time I see him, it's always the same thing. Is that Steve Buscemi? Nah. Yeah. It's the other Buscemi. I, I just think this movie has a lot of smart observations about how people perceive race, how people perceive the danger to the country today. And uh, I think it's worth seeing. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, It's really something that Everyone should go check out. So, like, it, I, I was blown away by several movies this year, but I, this one I think feels up top for me. I, I would, but I would, I, I think like it's not the movie that uh, I would have expected. You know, like it's yeah. just it's just yeah, yeah. not what I thought it would be when I came in to the theater. But I think it's a it's an essential film that uh, everyone should check out. So, yep. that's our review of Black Klansman. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. But uh, in the meantime, find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Devendra Hardware, where can you find more of your work on the internet this week? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Devendra, and I write about tech at engadget.com. Find my stuff at uh, davechen.net, and I am actually off Twitter, um, uh, but if you want to hear my thoughts on random things, you can subscribe to my tiny letter, which is an email newsletter, at tinyletter.com slash davidchen. Email Devendra, it's coming back. Um, and it's, it's a thing. Yeah. Crazy Rich Agents is the movie we'll be discussing next week. 
Um, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. We'll see you later.